welcome to another episode of Tech Tea. My name is Ben Grubb, and with me today are the usual suspects, uh, James Alexander. Hello. Hello. And Hugh Stevens. Hello. Today, uh, we're going to go through a few news items and then, uh, I guess, talk about why James is in town. James, as you know, if you listen to the first episode, is from Sydney, uh, apparently Startup Central. Uh, but Melbourne is doing many things to uh, no, it's fix that problem. No, Melbourne's doing nothing. So, uh, news today uh, on August 17 was that Macquarie University is going to join big business to launch a what they're calling Macquarie Park Innovation District in Sydney. It's uh, not exactly a unique concept. Often these things are called innovation hubs. Uh, this one is apparently going to have a possible, repeat possible, driverless shuttle bus service, quote unquote smart cafes, hackathons, and partnerships with other international innovation districts. Hugh, what do you think of uh, this announcement today at the Australian Financial Review's Innovation Summit? Well, look, I mean, I think that the that the title of the space clearly needs disruption in there as well. <laughs> you can't really have an innovation space without enough disruption. They should have called it a disruptive Dis- innovation hub district. District. <laughs> I like district. I mean, I think I think we're going to see more and more of these. These days, uh, I think a lot of these are really just opportunities to, and it's quite telling that the banks are getting involved. Um, we obviously have banks here in Melbourne um, have their own startup spaces, startup labs in their head offices and things like that. And it really, for a lot of them, is just a branding exercise to make themselves seem like they're new and innovative, even though the, their business model has never really changed and no one really gives a damn about them because they refuse to even support, you know, Apple Pay when it comes around and they just want to negotiate by cartel instead. So, I mean, I think it's interesting to see. I think that the challenge here in this particular space is, you know, Macquarie certainly isn't somewhere that's uh, particularly central to Sydney. And often that's part of what it, what is a value, particularly for an early stage startup where there might be fewer people. Sure, when they might reach 50, 100 people, you know, they might be looking at a know commercial space somewhere outside of the city but generally i think in the early days somewhere that's more easy to get to is is certainly a better value now it also says here that the macquarie university has also committed about seven million dollars to a standalone incubator james you run an incubation program (laughs) uh at sydney uni have you got seven million dollars okay okay so there's two there's two things here i mean clearly this report on the financial review mentions a few things, but for whatever reason, the stuff that they're mentioning tends to be the least important stuff when it comes to these spaces, right? So cafes, um, transportation, that's, that's, not, that's not the value add. Neither is hackathons, right? So the fact that they even mention that in the press release is kind of intriguing, or at least wherever, the, wherever they pick this article up. What is positive, I think, about this is that we're finally getting money, we're talking about millions of dollars, don't... Um, um, Set aside to invest. You nearly said donated. There, <laughs> donated. Just for the record. Yeah. Set aside, invested in in these type of it's entrepreneurship. Not a philanthropic effort. Yeah. In, in in entrepreneurship activities, which I think is fantastic because it means that we are putting you know the the metal to the ground and being able to fund start activities. The problem is, 
is innovation districts the right way to do it? And, and around the globe, they're, they're, a lot of them have failed in a variety of ways. I would take the view while, that while this article is obviously only giving a very small analysis to it, and, and obviously I want to see more detail about what they want to do, I would say that we are in Sydney getting this point where we're going to have four, like kind of an innovation corridor, so to speak, where there's like some serious investment happening in four major areas. Just you wait till you read the policy document yeah. written by James yeah. Alexander. <laughs> well, that's, and, and that, that to me is actually very promising because because we're, we're seeing there's certain areas which which do lend itself to, to certain things like for example Macquarie there's a lot of medical technology R&D it's already cochlear is uh, based uh, yeah yeah I mean and I think there's there's a lot of stuff to be having my, my issue with this is I kind of really wonder what's underneath this kind of shiny you know article so if we've got if we've got the innovation corridor though James I guess um, where, where do the startups start do they start in the innovation <laughs> bedroom or do they start in the bathroom like or perhaps it's the lounge area. <laughs> the lounge. No, it's clearly the smart cafe. The smart cafe. Okay, <laughs> off, off the innovation corridor. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, I think if you can fast forward fifty years, right, and we're assuming that there are some significant companies that come out of these spaces and base there, then you can see an area where, okay, in the north, Macquarie, there's a lot of med and bio commercialization and the city is obviously going to be mixed and and then down further south you got white bay which they're trying to do something with who knows who knows what's happening there and of course you got redfern with atp and and whatever else which happens. uh commonwealth bank purchased too. yeah okay sure there'll be a lot of bankers there yeah, which so there's more great. banking yeah Banks sure. love to get into this. well it's, it is very trendy for a bank isn't there a bank on this Yes, it's, it's NAB, I believe. Yeah, so, so like any time a bank kind of is set aside an innovation park, I always get very suspicious just by default. <laughs> it's a good way to bankroll it, though, to be fair, not to make too much of a pun of <laughs> Is it, though? I don't know. Well, the, banks, feel... the banks in Australia, I mean, you know, if we're talking on a global basis, our banks have way too much money. Which is incredible because we could spend an entire podcast talking about how bad they are at productively investing the money they have. Or, or even just... And, and whether you're talking about productively investing in the sense of from a financial gain perspective or even like in investing in their own core services often well yeah you know, so core services I, w- I would say the only thing i'd compliment them on is, is is that some of our banks do have very very good digital services for their customers thinking of course of commonwealth bank. commonwealth bank right commonwealth i bank. am a customer of commonwealth bank yes <laughs> disclaimer they support this podcast but, but they, do have the, uh, <laughs> they do have the best app that's the thing it's they noticeably do. the best app so they, in fintech we do have some interesting stuff with the banks but anything else they do doesn't really i mean i mean blockchain. okay you've also got reinvention <laughs> i've seen so many articles about blockchain and everyone wants to somehow integrate blockchain to their something i just don't understand i think it just gets the vc's pants a little bit you know (laughs) a little bit interested about what's happening Mm. so macquarie park though like that's that's not Sydney, really. I know well, it is Sydney. It is, but it's not Sydney to the to the CBD in, uh, Sydney people. But the park it's about thirty minutes uh, from the CBD, and it covers about three hundred and fifty hectares, and is already, according to the AFR, home to one hundred and eighty large companies. How important is it to have a hub like this? Does innovation happen because of hubs? Like what? What you know, is the purpose no, of mean, a, in my, in my why p- have a hub? In my perspective, innovation um, is is a, is very much a for all of the talk of you know the death of of, of distance. Innovation happens with entrepreneurs side by side um, next to each other. So we you needed you do need concentrations of stuff. Now I think Macquarie is a right place to have concentration of some activity. I just kind of wonder what what they're hoping to get out of you know what type of companies they want to attract. I don't think it's just the case of going yeah all startups come to thirty minutes out of the city. It's like. Eh, 
okay, if it's all medical because they got all the hospitals there and they already have the researchers, then yeah, sure, that makes sense, maybe. So the census was Tuesday the something? Eighth, I believe. Uh, and uh, it, it kind of didn't work out very well. Uh, the website went down. A few people predicted this. There was a reader in the age uh, in particular who was like, what if, uh, you know, they say they've only done a million uh, tests or that a million people can fill in the form per hour. Uh, how, what happens when everyone logs on at the same time and, and, and it goes down? And that's precisely what seems to have occurred. Although the government says there was a denial of service attack. Uh, who's at fault here, Hugh? Fault is very hard to really apportion here. I mean, I think it's, you know, clearly there was a big, big error in how this was built, you know, and that's comfortable to say. And whether or not you want to say that that's because of the way that they'd configured their routers and everything else, or, you know, that, that's obviously a very detailed way of starting to look at it. And there's some much smarter technology analysts. Look, than they I. should have just used SurveyMonkey Premium Account and that would have been fine. And look, there's some validity <laughs> in that. Like, you know, and I think that's, that's one of the challenges that we have in this kind of area of technology is that. You know, our governments certainly currently aren't specialists in producing large-scale forms that operate into, you know, delivering why forms do government to 9 million Australians. Why do they always fail? Like, we see it with Queensland payroll. Um, we've seen Victorian, um, they had this education system thing. They spent yes. millions of dollars on. There was corruption in there. There was there was all sorts. Now there's an inquiry. So, um, I don't know if it's true, but I think IBM's been banned from tendering. So, IBM, yes. So, IBM has been banned by the Queensland government as a result of the Queensland health debacle, which was... I mean, that's really pretty... has gone down academically as one of the biggest failures of government IT ever, global. So, so, so like... So why how was Obamacare, which also had that was bad. Healthcare.gov, yeah, healthcare.gov, that was pretty bad. So so why how how come IBM just keeps on getting more gigs? Look, I mean, I think that's that's a really good question, and (laughs) I guess it's fairly safe to say that you know, irrespective of if you wanted to fault anyone here, I think the answer is procurement. Procurement here failed, and whether it failed in the context of assuming that they could write all of the requirements for the census and none of it would ever change and it was this big waterfall-type IT project they could just hand off to someone else or they chose the wrong contract or whatever it ended up being, like, procurement clearly is what's failed. You know, mm. They got the wrong people to do the wrong job. Mm. Um, or maybe it was the right people but the wrong job or the right job but the wrong people, I don't know. But mm. something obviously failed in that area. I think what's really challenging for me is, you know, like, this was one of those cases where there was time. You know, it, it's often the case where you use you bring in someone like IBM is when you don't have any time mm. um, or when you don't have any internal knowledge about something and you're not expecting to ever need that knowledge again. Whereas, obviously, for the census and for the ABS, like, this is their bread and butter. You know, if you think about the agency that probably delivers the most, you know, survey-type forms, it's obviously the Australian Bureau of yeah, Statistics. Yeah, so, 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 so why, why wouldn't they... If they're going to spend 10 million bucks, how would you how would you advise them to more like a startup? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, what, what's the core problem we're trying to solve? Here? Was it 10 we million? To create, it was 10 million. It was about roughly, 10 million. 10 to roughly. 12. Okay. What, what's the core problem we're trying to solve here? And I think the answer is what the ABS needs and what probably a lot of other government departments need is some sort of highly scalable solution to be able to deliver forms at scale you know, that are, you know, that have branching logic and have some, you know, smart features to deliver them to consumers in a way that is actually scalable. And that's something that isn't necessarily, you know, it's actually quite a solved problem. It's not a ridiculously difficult thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do super cheaply. You know, if I had a budget of $500, I would probably struggle to produce something without, you know, needing a lot more than that for servers. But as far as the way that we, you know, we, we now have all of these technologies and they're often developed initially by people like Facebook or Google or whoever it is to build 
build these kinds of scalable services in ways that are quick and relatively easy to do. This was probably the most hilarious um, clip that I saw that came out of all of the, the debacle. Uh, it's a clip from like uh, Parliament uh, a while back where the census chief was talking about the a massive cost savings by going online. The old way was 124 million from memory. That's only memory. Is that a number? No, no, it, um, we expect to save just over 100 million dollars wow. from approaching this digital first census. Wow. Undertaking a census is very expensive, so. I think last time it cost the bureau in excess of four hundred and fifty million dollars to mount the. Four hundred and fifty million. Fuck! Oh my god. Beautiful. That's that's terrific. Ah. God, it makes me cringe. Uh, the census is a, a it classic. Makes me cringe. The census is a classic long tail problem, though, James. Oh, a lot yeah, of the expenses like, in like trying every, to get the people in remote locations, of which the no, density is I, low. I, I, like, I, I understand is more complex than you know just going, hey, go to a web address and that's it. But like you know, when you when you uh, when you're in startup land and you know the idea of reserving ten million is 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 just is just out of this world. You know, when you when you kind of see these these government projects waste this money, it's just really doesn't instill you the huge amount of confidence. The thing that I think is sad is that it's like, it's almost a situation where, you know, this is the kind of opportunity that would actually make a very interesting case study for perhaps a, a good example of where government IT could succeed by actually doing it in-house for once. So Turnbull okay. has his digital transformation office, the idea of that modelled off the UK equivalent and also the US equivalent is that you have a group of people who can kind of operate like a quasi startup within government and they believe in open source and, you know, and that's what modern doing. languages and everything yeah. else. And that's what they're doing in the States as well with their and internal the States group. are very, very big yeah, yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, and I think this is a real lost opportunity because, you know, beyond anything else, you know, this is the kind of great, you know, this would be a great opportunity to produce a great open source tool that could be used by governments worldwide. Surely there's one that exists already. I'm not sure. Okay. I haven't I haven't done the done the research to be honest. And Listeners, just, tell us if there's an open source survey tool for governments. <laughs> and just before we move on to uh, exactly why James is in town, because I'm sure you all want to know. Um, of course they do. Guevara, is that how I pronounce it? Guevara. Guevara. Yes. Uh, Guevara. Last time we were on uh, chatting on the podcast. <laughs> They, um, they, we were all very spec, like we were speculating, like would they actually list? Um, would they raise their money? There were so many questions, so Drum many roll. questions, and, uh, and uh, it all fell over. And they went into voluntary administration. Uh, administration, yeah, and then they went out of voluntary administration, and I don't know exactly where it is it's now. Very bad, scorched ground, very scorched ground. Yeah, well, it did. It, no one believed them with the. Oh, and there was a whole lot of stuff around small managed super funds and how fund them. managers were putting people's life savings into it, and they were getting kickbacks for it. It the, was just the, all the, very... the important. The important thing is, what did we learn? What did we learn? I don't know. What did we learn? Small cap tech startups are a bad idea. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think, and this is maybe controversial, but I actually think this was a situation where I would call it a successive regulation. Um, oh, I think really? this is. I know, and I know. It's very anti, you know, small government type person of me. But I think it's something where, like, you know, clearly this was a shonky deal from the start. And there were obviously some failures around the probity of some of these advisors, perhaps, and the kickbacks they were getting or allegedly getting. I don't know if that was necessarily ever proved. But clearly there were some probity failures there as well. But in the case of should this have ended up on the stock market, you know, I think the answer is fairly clearly no. Well, I mean, it would have been great to have shorted it and make a lot of money out of it. Sure, but. sure. But, like, I think that's the whole point. Like, the we're changing the regulations for backdoor listings to try and stop, you know, all these tiny small caps with no revenue, right? Yeah. 
And, and, and I think it's just the kind of thing you just learn from it. You know, you just go, oh, well, how do they get through? How do they do all these things? What are the loopholes they use? What was, the... and, and usually with these things, it's not because everyone's trying to cheat the system. It's always because there's a small percentage that, you know, might be incentivizing the wrong things or they might not be quite doing it a particular way. But I, I don't know enough detail about it to really comment too much. So I will shut up. I have one other question unrelated to this. I feel like at the moment, just looking at all of the news coming out of startup land, that there is a lot of fundraising going on, like so much fundraising. No, no, no. Um, th- th- I've, there is probably... Fundraising from startups or from VCs? Fundraising from VCs oh. to startups. Okay, so as in VCs are giving money. Yes, they're, they're splashing the cash. And uh, I kind of like... I haven't really seen, um, not that this this is what should be happening, but I haven't seen any big merger and acquisitions in a while. And I haven't seen any like profitable startups announce, hey, we're profitable now. I just see lots of money being poured in. Mm. Maybe it's a long tail thing that I should, and this is why I want to get your reaction on, mm. is are we going to see ROI on all of this anytime soon? How long should we wait? I think it's I think it's a question of what do you do you not see? I'm also seeing just one last point, like a lot of money being poured into stuff that's like why is money being poured into this stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, 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 like sure, the, you know, doing a press release and getting your fundraising announced is, is, is all well and good and seems to be in vogue in Australia. Um, it's great. In vogue everywhere, really. Yeah, it's, in vogue, it's an easy press story. Like, okay, if I, yeah, sure, sure. But like, but at least, at least um, for a lot of places, which were the merging startup um, hubs, if you like, or districts, districts, uh, or districts. You know, it, it's it's kind of, districts. you know, you, it's it's what you don't see. So for all the announcements you see of weird things getting funded, and it's almost like journos are creating this clickbait in some ways. It's almost like really you're funding a parking app. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's like for all the things you do see that are funded, and for whatever reason, you know, generate money or don't generate money. Is that there's a, there's another ten or twenty startups that you won't hear about for another few years because so is it that gonna... startups just go quiet. After... Of course they do. And why why do they like to stay quiet? About... I don't know if it matters necessarily like staying quiet. Part of it, mm. I suspect, is at least to some degree, there are a lot of startups where when people are actually working they don't have time to just toot their own horn. Um, And there is a degree, I think, of that is that, you know, we do often hear from the ones that aren't necessarily doing the most... It's it's almost... the, the busiest work, which is often at the start of a startup's journey. Really. It's almost a bias, right? Because it's like there, 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 there are distinct disadvantages to announcing yourself um, as raising around when you're a very early stage startup. And and if you and if when all here are the ones that are doing it, then it's kind of like, well, maybe the maybe you know maybe they're getting bad advice, or maybe maybe this isn't a great strategy, or, or what what have you. But but like for example, a lot of our startups will never announce their angel rounds or their um or their successful fundraising just because it doesn't make sense. Well. Uh, that brings us to why... Well, it doesn't really bring us to why you're in town, but why are you, <laughs> why are you in town? Are you looking for money? <laughs> James would love your money. Please give James your money. He can tell you his bank details. ABC, always be closing. Well, I'm always looking for money. Um, it's more like BSB and account number. Okay, sure. Um, no, so I'm in town because really we are here to... I'm giving a talk. Um, I just gave a talk today um, at, a, at a conference um, talking about how universities can educate for um, entrepreneurship should they you know is this something they should be doing and if so how do they do it and uh, and, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, arguments as to how that might happen but um, ultimately I think this is all part of the um, whole rhetoric of the government of kind of jobs and growth um, mm. and then as we see today Macquarie University are putting their money behind behind it 
Um, various other universities are doing it. Uh, they've got accelerator programs, incubator programs. What 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 people might not see because they're not in higher education is the the the, the change. Like in twelve months, we have had people that may say entrepreneur once in a year to now say it every single day. And and sure, there's good and bad things about that. But but the change in 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 what people are thinking and how they should invest money and the what amount of money. What do you think drives money, that? What do you think has driven that? I, it's Turnbull, isn't it? Like since is it, like, no, is no, no, it, no, is no. it government? I, or is it students? What it's, do you actually think? No, I think it's a variety. It's it's we're at an intersection of a lot of things that have built up over time. So one hand, so quiet. Let me tell you. So, so, uh, so uh, we were talking about today in the conference, right? So one thing is students is driving a lot of this, obviously, because of the customers. Um, and literally, it's only about last four years have we really started to hear this huge rhetoric in students going, I want to know, I want to be an entrepreneur. In fact, if we look at the surveys now. Can, can that many students necessarily all spell the word entrepreneur? That's <laughs> I struggle to be brutal. 30, 35% in Australia want to be a founder of a company within five years of gra- graduating. 35%. That's a huge percentage of your of your students now are actively seeking out ways to become an entrepreneur. And, that, and that's not a survey that, of your startup founders? No, no, this is Australia. This is, is this is one of Australia. And UTS is 32% have started or about to start a business if they... That's undergraduate population. But how much of that has necessarily changed? Like, you know, whether, oh, what you call huge a startup, amounts. But what you call a startup, like... We're not necessarily saying that you know 32% want to go and join startups, but that's quite different to 32% who you know end up as a as a business owner. And a business owner doesn't necessarily mean that it's a technology startup yeah. with venture capital funding and everything else. It so could the, be a you know cafe or a profitable other business. Sure, but but the regardless, they want their entrepreneurial ambitions, whether that is working uh, to be supported, right? And that that means two things. That's either working for innovative companies. Students do not want to work for banks. They don't want to work for insurance companies. They don't want to work for boring professional services. You need firm. to talk to more people who study commerce. Yeah, sure. There's still there's obviously a chunk, but there's a there's a growing majority that don't, and they're dissatisfied. And the universities know this and they're like sitting there going well what do we offer them like how do we how do we create these pathways and then on one hand you've got the hardcore ones that are like no nope, i'm starting a company straight away and obviously they're a minority but they're also very very valuable and then the question becomes should we support them and then at what point do we support them and when do we kind of like go no nope, it's up to industry to kind of come in and take over now that concludes tech tea thank you for joining us uh, Hugh. thank you ben uh, and thank you for uh, coming down to Melbourne. Okay. Thank you.